Leo, sorry, man. <laughs> Did you forget something? So it's, it's quite difficult to come up here and try and capture what has played out so far this morning. When you sent that message out this morning, I was like, no, they, every, every time I come to, 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 to preach or to, to lead the service, somebody steals my, my message. And, and, and you were like halfway there. Abby, you just, you just walked. I, I was ready to hand my notes to you, okay, and just carry on. All right? <laughs> But that's, that shows you the God that we serve. I want to... Um, who's at the back there? Emily. <laughs> Can I have the first slide up, please? Oh, right. Oh. And is this Goody McGafter? Okay, I'll check that out now. So, you remember this last week. Sheldon um, read it from the um, Passion Translation. If any man has ears, let me just check. Let me see. Um, Bob, no, any man has ears. Let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. There's a caution built into the scripture. Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear. You've been hearing a lot of truth this morning. And God's going to hold you to account for what you, what you now, what has been revealed to you. That's the caution that's built into there. Will be measure of, of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more will be given to you. So often we hear people say, but my ministry, I want more. I want more of this. I want more of that. There's the solution. There's the answer. And last week we spent some time on that. Let's go to the second, um, second one. It's working. We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and those who are called according to His purpose. I'm going to take you on a, on a journey this morning and I'm going to try and set up a timeline of, of events, of dates and stuff. It's going to be a little bit, bit, bit much, but... Towards the end of it, I've got a single page that I just quickly summarize. So don't try and remember all the dates. Try and remember what, what, what I'm trying, what's the story behind the story. But so often, we don't, that has got God's fingerprint all over it. For, for me, all things is, okay, so I bumped my toe, I got a flat, no. God has got, and he your words this morning, Sheldon, it is not about the flesh. It's got nothing to do about the flesh. It's to do about the spirit. Okay. So, I want to read you. Uh, no, I'm just going to recall. Um, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. Who can tell me what's, what's in there? And, Spirit of Lord, because he has... To preach, to bound up, to set who free, to open the prison doors first, sorry, sorry, first get the doors open, and then to set the captives free. And then what comes? What's the last line in that portion? I'm, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This morning is about that. If you lose your way, if you can't, if you have no idea where I'm going with this, remember, we're talking about Jubilee. We're talking about the acceptable um, year of the Lord. I'm going to jump. I didn't put it up there. I'm just going to jump through a few verses in Leviticus 25, verse 8. The year of Jubilee. And you shall count seven Sabbath years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbath of years shall be to you 49 years. So when the queen was in her 50th year, they called it her Jubilee. So that's where the name comes from. N not from the queen, from here. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty, you've just recited that, throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possessions. 
each of you shall return to your possessions. This story this morning is about a jubilee that reverses a process. And somewhere in this morning, I hope to take you to where the Bay City is. This is not just a, a history lesson that I'm pouring out here. This is to take the Bay right there into the scene and then maybe one step further. Okay? I'll, 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 I'll see how I get there. Now I've lost my place. All right, so, um, and you shall return to your possession, and each of you shall return to his family. So it's all about restoration. It's all about returning. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap that grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unintended vine. So where the world got it wrong is that I know farmers in, in the, in the Longobarn area that will sow there and, 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 and prepare the land. But the seventh year, they rest that land. The seventh year, they rest that land. And this is what um, I actually shared that with you a few years ago about what happens if you, if, if you don't do what the God instructed you concerning the land. Okay. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. That's again. Verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. The land is mine, says the Lord. Verse 28, but if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. So, in those days, it was, they knew about this 49 jubilee year. So if I wanted to buy ground from Sheldon, Sheldon knew this oak's going to get it back. Somewhere in this process. So let's say there were five years left of the jubilee period. He would factor it in. And, and we would barter. We would, we would come to an agreement. And, and even slaves. If, if you sold a slave or you had a slave... The time that was spent was, was acknowledged, so it was very much a time, uh, uh, the language of the day. And I just want to touch on slavery, the one last example. The price of his release shall be according, that's verse 50, shall be according to the number of years from that year that you were sold to him until the year of Jubilee. So in Jubilee, a few things happen. Let me just get my water out the way here. In Jubilee, a few things happen. Debt is released. It speaks about restoration. It talks about coming home. It talks about uh, slaves being freed. It talks about property being returned. It's, it's really a, a massive reset. So the economy was reset. Cultural was reset. Environmental was reset. Communal was reset. It affects all of it. Um, Dr. Arno, that you spent that weekend with in his book, um, which I got to page five, I think. Um, oh, it's, um, only a professor can write that book. Uh, you, you, you agree? Yeah. But what he brings out is that if the world stuck to the principle of Jubilee, there would not be poverty in this land, in no land. The world will not produce 130% of the food, yet you have 130% of the food that we need is delivered every day, and yet you have babies dying of hunger. Explain that. Explain why there are 15, 20 families in the world that control everything around us. It was never the intention of God. Okay, so let me start with my timeline. And I'm starting in 1853 to 1856, the Crimean War, okay? This was a war that happened in the Middle East, which, of course, includes the Holy Land. So there was this star or thing that, got, that disappeared, and they started accusing each other, and the one thing led to another, and, and all of the, the Orthodox clergy sided with Russia, and Russia decided to invade one of the countries. So on the one side you had Russia, nothing much has changed, and, 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 and the, the Orthodox clergy. On the other hand, you had the Ottoman Empire, which is an Islamic empire, 
that was in control of, of the Middle East. They just about possessed the whole of the Middle East. Britain, France, and Spain joined them. So you have these two groups. The Ottoman Empire took massive loans to fund all of this because they were bankrupt. They, they actually became bankrupt. So they started registering the land so they could tax it. This opened the door to remember all things, all things, all things. There are all little things that you think means nothing to you and your ministry. You, you think it's not important. Listen to all things there. So they taxed the land, but this opened the door to buy and sell Ottoman land. That, that was just the, the thin edge of the wedge that opened that door. Foreigners outside the empire were not allowed to buy. Then it still didn't work. The new Ottoman land code said, now you can sell to foreigners. So a process was start of release. Listen to this because you're going to hear me say, refer to this a few times. The land had to be released. The land had to be transferred. And the land had to be returned. God is a God of order. He plays by the rules. He doesn't take shortcuts. God committed to this. And I'm talking about what is happening in the Middle East and how it affects where Sheldon is busy taking us concerning end times. In June 10, on June 10, 1867, first year, first one in the timeline, the year of Jubilee, this release started. The, um, Jewish people could now, for the first time, buy land. And from Russia, Poland, all over Europe where they were scattered to, they started buying in their own personal capacity, or I suppose there could have been consortiums, groups, whatever, and, but they started buying back the Holy Land, or parts and bits of it. The previous transfer that the historians have come up with of, of this the Holy, of, of the Middle East, took part in 1517. That's the last one that they know of when there was a transfer. The final transfer is in 1867. And that's, so if you work it out, it's 350 years later. 350, if I did my maths right, is seven times jubilees. Seven times 50 years to the day. So it was the seventh jubilee. From the previous transfer, look at God's order, look at all things, to this one, 350 years, the seventh. What does seven stand for? Completion. God is so in the detail. Uh, then I will tell you a little bit later about the Balfour Declaration that states that a national home will be established for the Jewish people. This was an intention. The Balfour Declaration, and I'll give you a little bit more information on that, was agreed upon by England knew they, they needed um, America's support, so they couldn't do it on their own. So they waited till Woodrow Wilson, the U.S. president, um, in, on October 16, 1917. So there's my next on the timeline. This is now just before the First World War. The president approved it. On October 31, the British War Cabinet approved. Uh, Wilson agreed with it, and the British War Cabinet approved it on, on that day, 1917. If you look at uh, 1867 and you add 50 years, where do you get? Spot on. So, so it, it mostly it runs in jubilees. Um, where am I now? Let's go to one more. Right. Let's read that. So the coming generation of your children will rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes. Let me just pause there for a minute and say, I want to, onto this timeline that I'm busy running out for you, I want to, into, in the, uh, uh, I was busy writing my part that Sheldon mentioned, and, and, on Thursday, Friday, my port on Friday, the fifth one, I, I, I used the term and it begs the question. So you could see that, that I was looking for reason behind what was happening in the book of Acts. And, and, and why don't we see it as much anymore? So, um, 
I'm running at this timeline, and I want to introduce on this timeline just two. So I was sitting, and I, and I was busy with this, and, and I walked into, and Jeanette was busy looking at TV, and, and I said, and, and I was like busy, and I, and, and I said, hang on, hang on, what did the guy say there? And she said, no, shush, man, I'm busy listening. And, and when it was finished, I quickly Googled Kum, because I heard about the book, and Kum said they've got the book. I rushed off the next day and I bought Jonathan Kahn's The Oracle. All right? Uh, I'm not here today to tell you about the book of Oracle. It's all in there that I'm sharing with you. But I want to share scriptures with you and allow scripture to, to paint the timeline and to, and to translate the truth. Of what is in let scripture interpret scripture. That's that's a point I'm trying to make. Okay, so I'm introducing this first character. I've got two characters. There are so many that I could have chosen, but I'm just I'll make my point with two. So, so that the coming generation of your children will rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the plagues of the land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt, burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know what he's, what he's describing there? He's describing the land of milk and honey. So in 2,000 years, something happened. Something went horribly wrong. From where God speaks of the land of milk and honey, till, till, till that. Okay? In that word, in that first line, the coming generation of your children will rise up after you. There's a core word, akoron. I think I pronounced it correctly. It actually means latter or last generation. So when it talks about the coming generation, it talks about the latter or the last generation. So the foreigner will come, according to that, before a specific end time event takes place. Let me tell you what it is. Oopsie, one more. Can we, Daniel, can we maybe step to the next one, please? I do not have control of this now. Okay. And you can see it's Deuteronomy. We were in Deuteronomy 29. This is literally on the same page, just a few verses later. That the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So in the first exile, it was the Babylonian exile, okay, where they were taken off to Babylon. The second exile was when the Romans came and flattened Jerusalem. It stripped everything that would recognize it as Jewish. They stripped out of that place. And they shoved them out of Jerusalem, and most of them scattered all over the world. That scripture says, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Yeah. It's speaking of the second. All right. You with me still? Okay, the first exile of Babylon, then all the world to Europe, Asia, etc. The return of, of the second was after the foreigner. Now let me introduce, and if I say this name, please don't say, ah, oh, come, no, come on, it can't be true. All things. And you'll be held accountable to what you hear today. If you have ears, listen. I suppose a lot of you have heard about Mark Twain. He considered to be the father of American literature. He wrote the book Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. I read it as a young boy. He was a journalist. And clearly, as a journalist, he wrote for, for local tabloids, papers, and, and whatever in, in, in those days. So this journalist decided he wanted to travel and see the world. So he got on his steamship, and he came all the way to UK and all over Europe, and he ended up in the Holy Land. From all the records that we have, he was a skeptic. He was not... He didn't quote scripture. He, there's no record of him giving any indication that he served the Lord of any. I don't want to judge the guy, but there is no 
indication that stands out in, in, in the research that would indicate this. So when he found himself in the Holy Land, this is what his journals that he would now write and send off to the U.S. This is what he wrote. Rags, wretchedness, poverty, dirt, lepers, cripple, the blind. To see the numbers of maimed, malformed, and diseased humans that thong the holy places. He speaks of desolation, a burning state, not a foot of shade. Mark Twain is literally repeating the words of Moses the prophet. And, and he didn't read it in the Bible. Uh, for all indications are he didn't pick it up. He just came as a journalist and he is saying what he's seeing in front of him. It's terrible. Okay? Guess what year it was? 1867. Let me introduce the second character. Can I go one more? Next one, please. The Abigail. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and length is. Uh, I, I was hoping that they could um, put up a photograph of me. You, you, Daniel, you, you couldn't recover it. No, okay, don't worry, it, it didn't come through. So, so photo somebody, I don't know, maybe one of you guys, Monica, somebody took a photo of me with that round table with a plumb line hanging from a mic stand and two bricks and a line across. And when I was on Thursday sharing, going through my notes with Rod, who is quite a boff when it comes to all of this stuff, he pointed out to me that it was in 2016, November. This November, it's seven years. And I will show to you just now, every time the measuring line comes up, God is busy building. He's up to something. He's busy restoring. He's busy building. Look what happened to us in the seven years. That, and if only I knew then. But all things. All things. Yeah. You can imagine. The measuring line indicates something is to be built. To reclaim land, you must produce a title. You ask... Uh, uh, um, Your son's name? No. The surveyor. Dale. Dale. I went and I spoke to Dale when I had a, a vision explained to me once. And Dale will tell you there are certain documents that God will have to heed. God listens to this. You must produce a title, a deed, a survey to determine length, breadth, and borders. Zechariah saw the man, a sign of what was yet to come. The Jews returning. Remember, the first time was in Zechariah, it was actually Zerubbabel busy building the, the, the temple. So also today, his appearance is a reminder of restoration. And we've been sharing on, on the measuring line quite a lot. Let me introduce the second gentleman. Uh, he's not as famous as Mark Twain, but his name was Charles Warren. He was a British officer sent to Jerusalem to measure its ancient borders, boundaries to locate the ancient walls. This, the first excavation in 2,000 years. What was lost must be restored according to the ordinance of Jubilee. This, the first sign of land being transferred, 1867. There's a process of release, transfer, return. God is a God of order. But now listen to this. Both the foreigner and the man with the measuring line would be inside the walls of the ancient city in that year, the year of Jubilee, the same month, the same week. Let me just stir the pot a little bit more. There's a term called Prussia. I hope Parasha or Prussia. Every, say again. Ooh, there's a lot of... Can, can, can you just go through my notes? Okay, no, no, no. Um, every, Sabbath, every Sabbath day, from biblical times, the Jewish people gather in their synagogues 
open the scrolls of mostly the first five books of Moses. It's not only the first five books. There were other uh, documents and, and uh, uh, stuff that, that they used in this to, to what I'm trying to explain here now. And other ancient scriptures. And they read, recite, and chant a predetermined scripture appointed for that day of the Sabbath. This would be done all over the world. So all the synagogues would have an appointed scripture for that day. All things. Listen to this all things. Oh, my word. The foreigner, or the, the, some scriptures refer to the stranger, some to the foreigner. The foreigner's last day in Jerusalem was Saturday, 28th of September. Yes, it was the Sabbath day. The appointed scripture for that day was... Can I go to the next one? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I want, sorry, yeah. There we go. We had it up just now. That was the scripture when the foreigner was walking in the streets of Jerusalem. It's his last day. The next morning he was going to get on a steamship and go back to the States or wherever he was going to travel to. And Imagine, it doesn't say so, but imagine that you walk past the synagogue and inside you hear people chanting, reciting, reading that over and over and over. That's the appointed scripture of the day. The guy standing in the street who is a skeptic, they're talking about him. All things. All things. Whoever's got an ear. The nation began when Abram had a son, Isaac, who grew up in, in Beersheba. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just filling in a little bit more of this timeline. So he grew up in Beersheba. That's the first time you read about Beersheba. Uh, the Philistine king Abimelech's men took possession of, of Abram's well that he dug there in Beersheba. It's the, the first possession that was lost. Abram went to him and said, hey, hang on, hang on, this is my well. I want it back. And the king agreed. His men took it. He said, no, okay, I agree. I'll, I'll give it back to you. So it's the first example in, 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 in biblical terms where a possession was lost, appealed to return, he, and his well was restored to him. That whole process. In the Jubilee of 1917, there's my next one. Don't, don't tell me how many years. Don't tell me how many years. It's now literally just before the First World War. The first major victory in the Middle East to the British was when they took Beersheba. So where, where, where Abram and his nation started, remember, I will get back in a minute, get ahead of myself here, but that's where it started in Beersheba. The first place that the British uh, army took in, in, in recapturing it was the same place. So the start of the restoration. On October 31st, 1917, after 2,000 years, listen to this, on the same day as the victory, the same day that the British army took Beersheba, the British war cabinet approved the Balfour Declaration that promised the land to the Jewish people. The promise and the beginning of the transfer of the land on the same day. It was the 31st, it was a Wednesday. Okay? Let me take you to November 3, which is now a Saturday, which is now the Sabbath day. The appointed scripture... As you say, Sheldon, you can't make this up. You can't make this up. It is uncanny. It is when God says all things, all things, my peanut brain is too small to grasp the fullness of that. And here we sat this morning in worship. We heard word. We heard, we heard item upon item, word upon word. And God is saying, open your ears. Open your ears. Hear what's playing out around you. November 29, I'm jumping 
to the, did I put, that, that is Genesis, yeah, 21. November 29, 1947, which is not a jubilee year, by the way. The UN General Assembly voted in favor of Israel becoming a nation. The Balfour approved it, promised it, but it was only in 47 that um, how's that? Read it. Then Jacob said, O God, my father Abram, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and your family. This is what the people were chanting over and over and over in the synagogues on that exactly same day. You can't make this up. You, the detail is just, and, and I am skimming through the top. Otherwise, we would be here for two hours. And, and there's tons of information that I'm not bringing in, but just these two examples of the man with the measuring line and the foreigner. God spoke, and then creation followed. We know, he said, let there be light. God told Abram of the stars and his, and his descendants, and the nation followed. So first the word, then the nation. At, at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, then the promised land. Now I want to introduce another person, and, and, and Rod just about fell off his chair when I got here. Elysia Sukunik uncovers the Dead Sea Scrolls, so he didn't discover it. A, a, a shepherd boy went and he, they, I think they were looking for a lost sheep or a buck or whatever. And they, and they threw a rock in and they heard something break and they went in, him and his buddy, and they checked it out. And they discovered the death. They had no idea what it was. So people came and they collected it and they took it to the Sukunikai. was clearly a boff and a, a person that was. And he started shaking and trembling when he started opening the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because you must remember, all the teachers, all the, all the students of the Word plotted out how the Bible was formed, where did it come from, and all of that. What the Dead Sea Scrolls did, it dated it a thousand years earlier and confirmed every word of it. No contradiction. That just gave a total different spin to the scriptures as we have placed and studied and understood it and how the Bible was written and where it came from. That was November 29. On November 29, 1947, the United States votes on Israel as a nation, to, for Israel to become a nation. Same day. Same day. Is, is, is this getting too much? Is, is you, you, your head is, is like, if it's any way flat like mine, you, this is, you can't take up all that detail. So let me recap. So in 1517 was the known previous transfer. 1668, the start of the release of the land. 1867, the story of the foreigner. 1867, the man with the measuring line. Just before the war, Balfour Declaration, the Promised Land. 1917, the first battle at Beersheba. 1947, United Nations Assembly approved the land. And in the same year, 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uncovered. Not discovered, but uncovered. <coughs> Jubilee is a process of reversal. It begins at the end. Does this. And, and you need to understand what I'm saying now. Jubilee is reversing something. And restoring it. Uh, let, me, let me try and... Israel was, erected, was resurrected, not born. You know, you, you go to any other... America, South Africa. We had a history of, 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 of being discovered and treks and, and all of that stuff. Uh, Australia and, and so on and so on. Don't want to get into the politics of that messy lot. Nations gave birth to anthems. But this anthem of the Jewish people gave birth to the nation. Opposite, wrong way around. The names of the city were there before they existed. Because the Romans flattened it. The Romans robbed, stripped, 
took away any resemblance to, of the Jewish people. Okay? So the cities were only in people's minds and in scrolls and in documents. Now they start coming back. They start returning. And now you start seeing Hebron and Jerusalem and whatever other city names. So again, it's a, I nearly said what it is. Um, languages develop. Afrikaans was a language that was developed. It, it took a while and then finally, and then they wrote, and once the, the language was there, they, they wrote dictionaries and they formed it so people could study it and understand it and, and even grow it a little bit more. But in the case of Hebrew, though the language was dead, nobody spoke it in, in, the, Holy Land, in, in, in the Middle East at that time. But it existed in, in, in dictionaries. Dictionaries gave birth to the language. And finally, young people were teaching the old. All of us, Peter, all of us, we taught our children, come here, sit down, close your eyes, sleep, eat, whatever. Here you had young people teaching the old people because it was the young people that started writing out what was in the dictionaries and actually brought the Hebrew language back to life. It was a process of... How's my time doing? Oh, excellent. The, the guys here on the left will all say yes. Have you heard of Masada? Jeanette and I were like just married and we were li li listening, looking, first TV, at this whole incredible story of Masada. It was a mountaintop. Um, Rod actually tells me it was the holiday place of King Herod. I didn't know that. But so it was well equipped, it was well stocked, it was fortified. You could take animals into there, there was running water, the whole thing could sustain itself. So soldiers and refugees, so when they were driven out of, 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 of Jerusalem, some of them scattered to Europe and all over the world, but a handful went up this mountain. And they fortified themselves in, the, in this mountain where they could look after themselves. And this series that we were looking were about the Roman soldiers, soldiers that tried to build a ramp and then they kicked it down and they went on forever and ever and ever and ever to try and get to the last remnant of, 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 of the, the Israel people that, that fled there. The Romans finally overcame them by poisoning the water. And they swore to themselves they would die free. They were not going to be captured. And this is what comes out in the story. So they, um, it was a, so they, they nominated ten soldiers that had to go and kill all the women, all the children, all the elderly. Then they drew lots for the last soldier to kill off the nine. And then the last guy would would take his own life. They were determined not to be, to be caught. They were going to die as free people. Masada became a tomb for 2,000 years. Now Israel was opening its own grave. So they went and, and um, they sent, um, it's actually Sukunik's son, the guy that uncovered the Dead Sea Skulls. His son was the guy that went up and when... when um, all of this was now happening and the restoration process and the transfer process was going well. They went up and they started excavation at Masada. And that's where after 2,000 years they discovered this entombed stronghold of the last remnant of people there. And so again it is, so, one of the, so when, they, when they got to the synagogue, they, they, they discovered the book of Ezekiel. Uh, not just, there was other books, but one of the prominent ones was the book of Ezekiel. Can you remember what Ezekiel 37 one says? Can somebody tell me? The valley of dry bones. The prophecy of the valley of dry bones was the first thing when they get to this entombed. And what does it speak of? 
it speaks of the restoration of a nation. Again, you can't make this up. So the father that discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, his son unearthed Masada. Um, the, so the grave led to the restoration. The loss of Jerusalem resulted in the loss of Masada. The return of Masada resulted in the return of Jerusalem. That's the Jubilean ordinance. That's how God works. We're going well, guys. We're going well. I just want to go to Romans quickly. And this is what Sheldon read a week, maybe a little bit longer ago. I, I can't exactly remember. Um, I'm reading from 11 verse 11. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. To provoke them to jealousy. I'm talking about the olive tree and the grafting in that Sheldon uh, uh, discussed not so long ago. Um, and I'm just skipping through. And if some branches were broken off, some branches were broken off, and you, and, and I'm speaking to the Romans, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. So there were two grafting ins. It was the Gentiles that was grafted in, but some of the branches that were on the tree broke off, and God granted those back in as well. Okay? So from that day on, and from this point on, whatever I say to you after this, you see the, the Bay City Church in my discussion now. We're now part of this discussion. We're part of the rolling out of, of where this is going. And they also, if they did, did not continue in unbelief, would be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So it speaks of restoration. The Gentiles brought into the kingdom to... Okay, I, I read that. Um, so we are now part of the journey. In Acts, a gathering took place in the upper room. I, I'm, I'm now starting to focus on what the bay is about. Where are we? What does all of this mean to us? In Acts, there's a, there was a, a, in the upper room, it was apostles, disciples, believers, about 120. A meeting that changed the course of world history. The day of Pentecost happened, and soon after, the believers were scattered into all the world. So, soon after that, I'm telling, I'm talking about, what does this look like when this process is reversed? The first gathering in 2,000 years took place in London. London represents the nation. So they were scattered into the nation. 2,000 years later, there was a gathering in London, um, and guess the year? 1867. Strangers, the same place where the stranger and the measuring line guy was. It was a gathering of leaders, teachers, emirates, which means diplomats, all Messianic Jews to worship, pray, share, declare, agree on purpose and mission. Jerusalem to the nations the nations back to Jerusalem, back to their Messiah, and I want to come back to that, first the spiritual return, then the land return. I want to introduce a word, shuv, S-H-U-V. It means return, turn back, recover, reverse, relinquish, receive back, restore, come home. The covenant determined that if Israel remains joined to God, they would remain joined to the land. The physical realm was bound to the spiritual realm. This is very important. Physical separation would be a manifestation of spiritual separation. The physical return to the land would be connected to the spiritual return to God. In Acts, we have recorded a faith, an original, most radical, most Jewish, least established um, most revolutionary form of what is called the Christian faith that would overcome an empire and change the course of human history. There was a physical and spiritual disconnect. The church left its ancestral land, its roots. So when they scattered into all the world, they, they lost the 
the, the essence, the, the, the sharp edge that they had when they were still in the synagogues. They started losing that. Because that slowly but surely, it, it got watered down. It left its origins. The power and glory also departed. We've been speaking about that. Why don't we see uh, what was happening? The, the, it gained acceptance from surrounding cultures. The radical faith moved towards the status quo. Merging with the world, losing its revolutionary edge. Over 2,000 years, the church took on a Roman and a Western culture. What was born in Jerusalem was now joined to Rome. As Israel separated from the land, the church separated from its roots. How many times have we said that? If we look at our churches today, they, they water down. They, 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 they argue and current about minor little things because of this identity problem that they're having. So I told you about Jonathan Kahn. This is what he wrote in his book, The Oracle. This means the return to the book of Acts, the return of true disciples, apostles, and messengers of God, the return of radical and revolutionary witnesses that once stood distinct from the world and shined into the darkness uh, the light of God. It means the return of the power that broke down ancient walls, made kingdoms shake, opened prison doors, set captives free, turned the world upside down, changed the course of humanity, a return to faith, a return to its own possession. This is where this church is busy journeying in. The last departure was the final return. The Messiah stood on Mount, Ol Mount of Olives. After telling his disciples to go into all the world as his witnesses, he departed. He was taken up into heaven. This departure was the first of all departures. When Jesus left, now the, they were scattered. So all of the departures now started taking place and, and happening. The return of the Messiah to his possession, if he left the nation of Israel, he must return to the nation of Israel. The, the reverse of the Jubilee. If he departed from Jerusalem, then his return will be the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. This is not where we do. On day five of our little booklet, it was Thursday, I, I wrote and I used the term, it begs the question. I didn't know what I was going to share today when I wrote this. Okay, we wrote it about two, three, maybe four weeks ago. And if, if I knew what I know now, I would have written it different. Because I asked the question, why do we not see the 3,000 at one time? The 5,000 at one time? The multitudes in, in, um, in, in uh, when Philip was, was in Samaria. Why don't we see that? Why is it that a husband and wife lie to the church and to God and they drop down dead? Yeah. Why wasn't that a norm? Yeah. I've seen people lie. Yeah. I've seen people do horrible things to the church and they didn't drop down dead. So something changed. And what we are busy returning to, what we are busy returning to is that original. Let me go to Acts 4. Let me go to, somebody's getting this. Somebody, somebody is getting this. Acts 4. Acts 2 is what Sheldon is busy with, with one accord. They came together in one accord, and he shared a little bit of that, and, and we're going to hear much more about that. But let's go to Acts 4. I just want to, our time is spot on. Where is Acts 4? Just after 3. Right. Verse 32. Now the multitude of those who, were, were, who believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of his things he possessed was his own. So there was a change of heart. That's what this tells me. 
but they had all things in common. And with great power, this is the book of Acts, guys, this is where we are processing and being restored, being transferred and restored to. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Andy, your ministry and, what, and people similar to you in your ministry of evangelists, this is where we are on our way to. This is what is going to happen to us. Here's the beautiful thing that Sheldon shared earlier. It's not about me. It's not about my flesh. It's about what God put in place 2,000 years or even longer ago. We keep on beating up on ourselves. How's my ministry doing? How, how's this? How's it? Oh, what shouldn't I do more? What should I do less? And we beat up ourselves in the process of, and God's saying, for heaven's sake, all you have to do is love. Love me. Walk out love. Be my hands. Be my eyes. Be my ears. Be the arms that will hug people. That's all you have to do. Walk it out. And if you don't want to, it's okay. I'm predetermined. I'm preset. I know exactly where I'm going. There is a restoring of the power of the book of Acts that is at our door. It's at our door. Let every person that has an ear, you will be held to account to the truth that you hear today. And in the mystery of all things, all things, you say, oh, but that, that can't be. You know, um, the children's work, um, I, I spoke, I had coffee with Ray and, and Joe, and we, and we touched on this. And I said, every person, when Sheldon put up those, those 20 ministries, every person that took a piece of paper and wrote on that piece of paper and folded it and put his name on it. Every one of you, every one of us is involved in this journey. Yeah. Involved in the journey. And all we have to do, we didn't have to make it work. Jesus said, I'm the head of the church. I will build my church. You just do your part. You love. You be, you, you, you are equipped. You walk it out. But don't take possession of it. It's not yours to hold. It's not yours to hold. Not once did in this book or in the study that I did was there, oh, but so-and-so messed up, so okay, now we have to reason. Not once. God given, couldn't give two hoods, whether it was a guy that was a foreigner that knew nothing of, apparently of Scripture, or it was a person that was born again, full of spirit and all of that. God set this in place and in plan. And the detail that I showed you about the Jubilee was being reversed. It's going to happen. whether we, If we all leave here today and none of us ever come back because of what you think I said today, it will continue. It will continue. It's not about me. It's not, it's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. I'm wrapping up. Walk it out in spite of yourself. This is where I wanted to leave you. This is where I wanted to encourage the Bay City Church that we are on a journey. And it's not up to us. God has put it in place. Yeah. All I have to do is say, yes, Lord. Yes. Here I am. Call me. That's, that's all you have to do. And walk it out. The, the outcome, the successful outcome of that is in God's hands, not in mine. But I can choose whether I want to be part of it, Andy, whether I'm going to walk it out. But here is the thing. Where is all of this going? So I've achieved where I wanted to be exactly half past. Now I just want to take a half a step further. Just a small little half a step further. This is not our home. This is not our home. When Adam and Eve fell, the first separation started. And that separation is still happening today. We are still separated. We are not where God wanted or intended us to be. At the center of all this is redemption. That's when the fallen, the broken, the lost returns home finally. That's the redemption. That's what God's plan when the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Christ and of his Lord. 
and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the end game. That's where all of this is going. But we are on a journey. We're not quite there yet. Hear what Sheldon is going to minister to us in this year. The things that are starting to come together. This plan and the restoration process. Be part of something so exciting. Is, is incredible. Is incredible. Thank you, Farnas. Spot on. Guys, it's a lot of information there, but I hope it brings home to you an understanding. God doesn't miss a beat. And you being here at this time, in this hour, is part of God's plan. Yes. You know, 1967, when Jerusalem was, they, the, the, the six-day war took place, was also a jubilee year, 67. And it was also around 1967, that kind of time, when the charismatic move started. And it was interesting how Jerusalem was back, but then a God started at the same time a move in his church and started reviving the church with the gifts and the understanding of the fivefold. That's why we're going on a journey this month about this book of Acts, about the fivefold, about understanding these positional things that God has set in place for the church so that it's functional to make an impact in society. And I just want to highlight one thing here. You see, when Farnas read about Isaiah 61, when Jesus got up in Luke 4, and says, and he read there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He wrote, rolled up the scroll and put it down. And then he sat down and said, this word has been confirmed in your midst. He didn't say, he didn't read on and say, and the day of the vengeance of our Lord. He left it out. Why? Because that's still coming. That's in his return. That's when the wrath and the vengeance of God is going to set in order. But we as people know and understand our position. You see, nothing is missed. The detail, the, 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 in the detail is where God speaks. And we are on the forefront. Next Sunday, there are going to be a, the company of prophets are going to be here. There's going to be guys from the States. There's going to be guys from Scotland. There's going to be other church leaders. There's going to be guys from all over the place coming together on Sunday, so that following week, we are setting in motion this one accord group of people that are setting this apostolic field in place. Okay, we are walking into what God is calling us to do. And all these things have taken years, but it's not by chance that it's happening now. God knows. On His timeline, we are walking into what He's been speaking to us. So have faith for what God's doing. Now listen to me carefully as well. Don't leave here and criticize with your mouth. Don't think, ah, please, man, this stuff, I don't get it. These guys are on their own mission. Your words bring death. Like I explained to you when the guy says, he prayed over him, Jesus, he says, tell me, I hate you, Donnie. It was like the spirit left that man. Because the words were the thing that condemned, and the enemy loves that. Choose blessing or curse. It's up to you. Yeah. Hear what the spirit yeah. is saying to the churches at this time. Amen. Yeah. We can't leave here without an invitation. And there has been an invitation probably since the beginning of this year, but I felt it ramp up as we started the fast. And it's, sometimes it's hard to understand dates and history and all these kinds of things, but I want to pay honor where honor is due to Farnas and Jeanette. Farnas, you bring truth, and God really speaks to you. The number of times I've sat in a meeting with Farnas and he'll say two things and that clarity comes, wisdom comes. If you're not feeling clear in your mind about what was said, the invitation is for you today. You're going to come up and God's going to give you that revelation because we cannot go forward now as the ecclesia if some are still struggling, if you still want to speak death over things, if you just want to go, ah, that doesn't matter. It all matters. It's all things. And there's a part of the story that at Farnes left out, and I thought he was going to share, but the, the gentleman the, of the, from the British Army who was doing the measuring, it was of Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like God led him there. He found a shaft, mm. and the shaft took him underground. And underground, he found the original Jerusalem. And the original Jerusalem's territory far extended the one that was above. 
And I feel that the Lord is saying over you today, your territory far extends the thing that is very much in front of you right now. Your territory in Him far extends. Your borders far extend than what the enemy is trying to say to you that this is your reality. You see, we can speak the things of history. We can bring the dates. We can bring that all to you. But at the end of the day, it's about you and your walk with Him and where we are going and your time in history now. He has appointed this time for you to be here and do the things for Him that is needed to be done in the extending of His kingdom. Your territory is far larger. Would you stand with me, please? The invitation this morning for prayer is if you are feeling like your territory, the very territory that is in front of you, your reality, doesn't match what God has got for you, that invitation is for you today. If you feel like you don't quite understand where you fit into all of this, that invitation is for you to here today. If you have never heard of Jesus, if you don't know him as a person, if you've never invited him into your life, that invitation is for you today. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing in this time. I thank you that you, you make sure all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him. You have not left out one detail on this earth and you have not left out one detail in my life and you have not left out one detail in the lives represented here today. So Lord Jesus, we declare that we are going to respond to the invitation that you have said, that you have laid out, that our territory is far bigger. It's far bigger. It's far bigger. It's far bigger. Do you believe me that your territory is far bigger than what is being presented to you today? South Africa, your territory is far bigger than what is being put in front of you today. You are called for this continent. You are called for bringing freedom and revival. And we will accept nothing less. 